Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in and joining us for worship uh, wherever you may be uh, listening. We're glad you've chosen to be a part this morning. I know that this is not ideal. We would much rather be gathered together collectively for worship, um, but we're grateful for the technology that allows us to still um, have a service and, and, and for you to be a part of that in your homes. And so thanks for bearing with us and being patient, and uh, we're really glad that you've chosen to tune in. Before we get into our, our text this morning, um, I just wanted to remind you that during a season like this, with so much fear and so much uncertainty, um, this is a great time for the church to be the church, um, specifically, and love your neighbor. Uh, we've talked about this a lot over the last uh, several years here, uh, this challenge to get to know your neighbor, to look for ways to, uh, to serve, to meet needs, um, and, and just do what Jesus told us to do, which is to love our neighbor. And if, if, if everyone in the world loved their neighbor, then the whole world would be loved. And so um, we just wanted to remind you and really challenge you to do that. If you need to uh, go next door, knock on the door, maybe leave a note even for your neighbor, see if they have some sort of need, particularly if your neighbors are older. Um, we want you to be a good neighbor to them. And so uh, just a challenge from us to be the church during this time, during this season, and let's love our neighbors well. This morning, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Austin and I uh, talked quite a bit over the last several weeks about whether we should continue in Corinthians, um, walking through that letter, or whether maybe we should shift and focus on something different for this season. Um, and what we landed on was we wanted to stay in Corinthians. Um, a lot of reasons for that, but one of the big ones is, uh, let's be honest, you're hearing a lot about coronavirus. Every station on the TV, um, all of our, our local officials, the schools are trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and we felt like um, we would like some sense of normalcy. And so getting back into what we were doing uh, Corinthians is a wonderful letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it has a lot to teach us about a lot of different things. And it's a, a real practical book, and so we wanted, to, uh, we wanted to walk through this, continue to walk through this letter together. It's ultimately uh, leading, of course, towards Easter, and 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection, and so that's where we're heading. And so for those reasons, we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians. Uh, this morning, we find ourselves in chapter 12, where Paul is talking about um, spiritual gifts, and I know that the subject of spiritual gifts can be uh, really divisive. It can be really confusing. And so we're going to jump right in uh, this morning, and, and we're going to talk about this really important topic of spiritual gifting um, in the church. And so, um, again, glad you're here. If you have a Bible with you at home, I invite you to grab that and to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and follow along. Uh, we'll, of course, put the, uh, the text and the points up on the, the screen for you to follow along with, but we always encourage you to, to use your Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and since we haven't been in Corinthians in a few weeks, let me give you a little bit of recap. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a great missionary and church planter, and he goes to this town of Corinth. It's a really important town, a port city, uh, a lot of trade routes, uh, a really young city, a, an educated city, a diverse city, and he plants a church there in Corinth. And as was his custom, he got the church established and, and really got it growing and going. And then Paul would move on to another city to plant another church. Um, and what happens in Corinth is that after Paul leaves Corinth, things start to go badly. Uh, there's a lot of divisiveness in the church. Um, they're bickering and they're fighting and they're, they're all sort of aligning themselves under different leaders and they're practicing things that um, some people aren't comfortable with and aren't even sure they should be practicing. And so there's a lot of confusion, a lot of question. And so they write a letter back to the Apostle Paul to address some specific issues. 
And what we have in this letter of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul writing a letter back to the church in Corinth, and he's addressing some issues that they're having, and he's trying to sort of correct them and even rebuke them in some ways. And so what we have in chapter 12 is he's getting into this idea of spiritual gifting. Because uh, some uh, new believers that had come from uh, other religions, other pagan cultish practices, they were trying to bring some of those things into the church. um, And there was a lot of confusion as to what was right, what was okay, what was not okay. And so uh, Paul is, is addressing this issue of spiritual gifting. And to be clear, when I mention spiritual gifting, what I'm talking about is a supernatural enablement and empowerment for a believer to do ministry. Um, It's different than your natural gifting or your natural talents. All of us have natural giftings and natural talents we're born with. Then we sort of practice those things, maybe get better at them as we grow. A spiritual gifting comes at uh, conversion. It comes when you become a believer. When you place your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, um, he enables you um, and and gives you a, a particular gifting. Um, maybe several giftings, but those are supernatural enablements for ministry. That's what we're talking about. And so uh, Paul is addressing these. And the reason that I say that this can be uh, divisive at times in the church and a little bit confusing is because there are some differing beliefs when it comes to spiritual gifts, uh, particularly what we call the sign gifts. So sign gifts are really the more miraculous, maybe the more supernatural gifts, uh, things like healings, miracles, prophecy, tongues. Um, A lot of Christians have some different views when it comes to those gifts in particular. And so uh, let me just mention the three views that Christians hold when it comes to the sign gifts. The The first one of those, the first view is called a cessationist view, the cessationist. And basically a cessationist believes that certain gifts are uh, no longer valid for this current age. A cessationist would say that those gifts were all very much a part of the early church. Uh, They were there to prove the ministry of the apostles, but that they are no longer valid in the church today, that those gifts are essentially dead gifts and that we don't need those gifts anymore, that God does not use those gifts in people any longer. That would be a cessationist view. Uh, The second view would be a charismatic view. The charismatic view would say, no, all gifts are valid in the church today, just as they were in the early church but they're to be used um, with particular biblical guidelines. There are some, some rules that sort of govern the use of those giftings. And then the third view is what I would call a, a hyper-charismatic view. A hyper-charismatic view would say not only are those gifts valid today, but they are, um, they're necessary. They're necessary to prove salvation, to prove the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, And they are sort of indicative, if you will, of a deeper walk with the Lord, a deeper spirituality, and a more mature believer. And just to be clear, as a church, we sort of fall in that middle middle ground. Okay, we're not cessationists. We don't believe that gifts are dead. God can do whatever God wants to do in and through his people today, just as he did back in the early church. Um, So we don't claim that gifts are, are no longer valid or dead. At the same time, we don't believe that certain gifts are indicative of a deeper spirituality, that certain gifts, sign gifts, are in any way to prove salvation or evidence of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so we fall very much in that middle middle ground um, where we believe all gifts are valid, but they are to be used under the guidance of the Scriptures um, and, and so the rules that are in place. And so I say all that to say 
uh, we have kind of a wide net here. I know that there are people that are cessationists, and that's, that's their belief about the sign gifts. And then there's others in our church that, that lean more uh, charismatic or even hyper-charismatic. And so we're okay. You're welcome here. This is very much what we would call an open-handed thing. But we as a church, our position is uh, that middle ground. Um, we, in other words, we, we think one group, the cessationist, a lot of times will say, God, God doesn't work this way. God, God won't work this way. And then the hyper-charismatics will say, God must work this way. God must gift everybody this way. And so what we say is, God is God. God can do what God wants to do. And sometimes he chooses to gift people the same ways he did back then. And sometimes he doesn't. So that's just kind of an overarching kind of big picture view of the sign gifts. And so we'll get into the text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll see what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore... I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So again, Paul's writing here in Corinth uh, to address some confusion. Some people were bringing some of, again, the pagan cultish practices of miraculous signs and wonders into the church, but they weren't doing so pointing to Jesus. They were pointing to themselves. And so they were being blasphemous in the way they used those giftings. And so there was a lot of confusion. What is of God? What is not of God? And this is very interesting because Paul basically starts out by saying um, that ultimately these gifts are about Jesus. They're about pointing people to Jesus. They're about um, the recognition that Jesus is Lord. And so a lot of these gifts, in particular the sign gifts, even today, they're prone to being misused. And this is why some people are almost fearful or skeptical of a lot of gifting is because there's been so many that misuse these gifts. Uh, Rather than pointing to Jesus and giving God the glory, they instead point to themselves. And uh, it's about their own glory and how spiritual they are and how holy they are and how great they are. And um, as Paul introduces here in the first part of chapter 12, that would be a misuse of the gifts. And so he's just kind of laying the groundwork there. And he gets in then in verse 4. And he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And I love those verses there because it reminds us that this is, um, this is a work of the triune God. Um, Paul mentions all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, right there in those verses, okay? He says, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord, that is the Lord Jesus. And then he says there are varieties of activities, but the same God, that is God the Father. So the idea that, again, we see the whole Trinity at work here when it comes to uh, giving someone, bestowing gifts on a believer. And so uh, we go on then in verse 7. This is a really important verse when it comes to spiritual gifting. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There's the purpose right there. Gifting is for the common good. We'll come back to that uh, here in just a little bit. Then we get into, in these next verses, we get into the specific spiritual gifts. And let me just say this before we get into it. The, the gifts that he mentions here in 1 Corinthians 12, this is not an exhaustive list. So there are various places in the New Testament where there are different listings of spiritual gifts. And none of them are complete and, and, and comprehensive. 
We have listings of gifts here in Corinthians. We have listings of gifting in Romans. There's listings and mentions in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and in 1 Peter and in various places in the New Testament. And so um, I just want to make sure some people look at one particular text and they assume that I've got to have one of these giftings. But there are a lot of places where there are other giftings, and there may even be others that are not mentioned. And so I just want to make sure you understand that. For our purposes, we'll look at the ones listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, because these are the ones that Paul is addressing in the church in Corinth. But uh, there are other giftings besides the ones that are mentioned here. Um, and so here we go in verse, uh, in verse 8. He says, uh, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom... And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So the first giftings that he mentions are wisdom and, and knowledge. Uh, now, wisdom is something that hopefully all of us pursue to some degree. Hopefully, all of us, as we grow and mature, we have a certain amount of wisdom. Um, the Bible's going to have a lot to say about wisdom, particularly in Old Testament books like Proverbs, New Testament books like James. Um, but there is this special gifting of wisdom. There are some people that just seem to uh, have extra measures of them when it comes to life. These are people that can uh, read the Bible or hear the, the Bible, and then they're real practical about how to put those things into practice, how to live life in a, in a very wise way. Maybe people that are really wise when it comes to finances. They're really good at putting budgets together. People that are, uh, that are good at helping just organize uh, your life and put together schedules and strategies. People that just have a lot of wisdom. People that have this gifting make really good life coaches. They make really good counselors. They make really great advisors because they just seem to have an extra degree or extra measure of wisdom that is from the Lord. We certainly need people like that in our church. And I believe we have a lot of people that have this gifting in our church, people that just have a lot of wisdom and they're able to share that and use that to teach and to help other people with wisdom. The second thing he mentions in that verse is knowledge. Uh, knowledge, you know, you know these people. These are people that just love to learn. They just, they seem to want to, to, to learn and to grow and to, um, they love books and they love blogs and websites and they just, they can't get enough of it, right? You ask someone like this, like, what did you do on spring break? Oh, I read three books. That doesn't sound like a fun spring break to me, but to some people, they just love to learn. They're continual learners and they just, they have this um, capacity for knowledge and, and study. And some people, that is just how they're wired. Uh, that's what they love to do. And so he mentions those two giftings first, wisdom and, and knowledge. Uh, then in verse 9, he mentions several other giftings. He says, To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So the gifting of faith. Again, much like wisdom, all believers have a certain measure of faith. Uh, Hebrews is going to tell us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must have faith to some degree if we're going to be a believer, right? But there, there are people that just seem to have, again, extra measures of faith, right? These are like eternal optimists. They're the people that when they see something is impossible, they're quick to go, God's got this. God's in charge. Nothing's impossible with God. They're big vision people. When you think something is hopeless, the people with faith, they step up and go, it's not hopeless. I've seen God do whatever, right? They're people that just seem to have extra measures of faith. And again, these people are so important in the church because there are seasons and times when uh, our faith maybe wavers a little bit. We've talked a lot about skepticism and doubt, and, and, and those, are, those are real things that all people deal with and struggle with from time to time. So when we go through those seasons of darkness and doubt and questioning, sometimes we need these people with these, this gifting of faith 
we need their faith to rub off on us a little bit, right? We need to sort of borrow some of their faith to get us through. And, and so there are people that have this extra measure of gifting and faith. They tend to, again, be big vision people. This is what God's doing. Let's go after what God's doing. God's in control. God's got this. Those are people that have the gifting of faith. Then he gets into talking about some of the sign gifts, all right? Some of the more miraculous gifts that, that often lead people to be almost scared or very skeptical of. He says at the end of verse 9, the gift of healing, all right? The gift of healing. Um, and, and here's the thing about the gift of healing. At the end of the day, whenever anyone in the Bible heals someone, so we have evidence that the disciples did some healings, the apostle Paul did some healings, Peter did some healings, the early church fathers did healings. Um, Ultimately, it's really not about that person doing the healing. It's about God that does the healing, right? God is the one that does the healing. Sometimes he uses people to do that healing. And so I wanted to be really clear about that. Again, it's, it's, it's a gift that is very prone to misuse, to people claiming to have the gift that really don't have the gift. Um, But do we believe that God is a God that heals? Absolutely. Um, We've seen God heal. Uh, There are times and seasons where uh, the medical community cannot explain a particular uh, healing or or, or a reason that someone got better or the reason that a cancer may be left. Um, And so we believe that God absolutely, supernaturally, miraculously still heals people. And sometimes God uses his followers to do that. It means that they pray for them, and God, in his own way, in his own means, brings that healing. In the book of James, um, it mentions this is a, as something that uh, pastors and elders um, are to do, that when someone is sick, they can call the pastors and elders of a church together. They can lay hands on that person, and God, in, God can choose to heal. It doesn't mean God always chooses to heal. It doesn't mean God must heal the person. Um, it's, I always found it interesting, you know, the Apostle Paul apparently had this gifting at times where he was able to pray for someone and they would be healed, but then the Apostle Paul himself had his own afflictions that were never healed. And so it doesn't mean that everything is always going to happen the way that person wants. But do we believe in a gift of healing? Absolutely. But ultimately, it's God that is the healer. It's God that's the healer. In verse 10, then, he mentions several other giftings. He says at the beginning of verse 10, the working of miracles, the working of miracles, So a lot like healing. It's a very supernatural gifting. In fact, a miracle, by definition, is rare, right? Um, It doesn't happen all the time. If if, if they happened all the time every day, they would be normal. They wouldn't be miraculous. And so these are very rare giftings. But we believe in a a, a big God, Um, a God that still performs miracles, a God that still does impossible things in people's lives and in everyday circumstances. And sometimes, much like healing, God chooses to use people, his people, to be a part of the miraculous. So we believe in the supernatural. We believe that God does big things. We believe that God still performs miracles today, just as he did back then. And again, sometimes God uses his people to do that. But that's a, that, 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 those are very, very rare. Very, very rare. The second one he mentions in verse 10 is prophecy. Uh, when the Bible speaks of prophecy, it means a couple different things. So the first thing that it means is someone that um, basically speaks the truth um, of God into someone else's life. And so someone that maybe hears from the Lord and then speaks God's word to others. Some would say that all pastors in some way, form, or fashion have the gift of prophecy in that they take the word of God and they expound upon the word of God um, and, and so that people can hear what God wants to say to them. Um, All the prophets of the Old Testament, they spoke for God to the people, okay? 
Um, the other thing, though, that prophecy can mean is sort of a, a foretelling of something, okay? So a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament, the things they spoke about were things that were going to happen someday down the road, okay? So they were, they were saying, here's what I see coming. Here's, what, here's what's going to happen in the future. Um, here's something, maybe someone that has the gift of prophecy uh, could speak something uh, in someone else's life. Hey, here's what I see God doing in your life. Here's something I see that God has for you down the road. Those would be the gifts of prophecy. Again, a lot of these sign gifts, you've got to be very careful because they are prone to being misused. They're prone to, uh, to being abused. And so we'll talk about that again um, here in just a moment. But that's the gift of prophecy. Um, and then the next thing he says in verse 10, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Um, some versions may say to discern. This would be the gift of discernment, all right? The gift of discernment. And again, this one's confusing because I've heard a lot of people use the gift of discernment or say they have the gift of discernment simply to win an argument, right? I had a, a friend at a, at a former church that claimed to have the gift of discernment. But what happened is every time there was a disagreement or a debate, as a, as a way to sort of end the conversation, he would throw out that he had the gift of discernment. It was like a mic drop moment where he could say, I've got the gift of discernment, and then that was supposed to be the end of it. And in context, that's not what the gift is, right? The gift of discernment or the gift uh, to distinguish between spirits is the ability to, to know whether something is of God or something is not of God. Whether something is, is biblical or something is not biblical. Whether something is from Jesus or something is not from Jesus. Maybe it's from Satan, right? And so someone that has the gift of discernment or the gift to distinguish between spirits can quickly kind of hear a sermon, a book, a thought, a whatever, and they can go, that's of God, that's from God, that's biblical, that's from Jesus, or they can go, uh, that's wrong, that's off, that's error, that's sin, that's folly. And so that would be the gift of discernment or the gift to distinguish between spirits. And so, again, don't, don't say, I have the gift of discernment as a way to win your argument, because that's not what, that's not what it's talking about here, not what it's talking about. Um, the next one then, he says uh, in verse 10, is to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. So the last gifts then that he mentions are tongues and then the, the ability to interpret tongues. And I'll be honest with you, um, I think tongues is probably the most confusing gifting anywhere mentioned in the Bible. Um, it brings a lot of confusion um, a lot of divisiveness because people believe different things about tongues. Um, and so, and I'll be honest, as far as the giftings go that are mentioned in the Bible, tongues would be one that confuses me the most. I do not have the gifting of tongues. Um, I, I've known and I have friends that claim to have those giftings, but it is quite confusing. And so here's why I think it's so confusing. Because when the Bible talks about tongues, it actually mentions in different places, several different ideas regarding tongues. So sometimes we look at one particular text and we make that particular text applicable and what tongues always means, but the Bible's going to use some different language when it talks about tongues in different places. So there's really three sort of, I would say, biblical ideas about what the gift of tongues is. And so the, I'll mention them really quick. The first one of those is that tongues is a private sort of prayer language. Okay, it's a, a heavenly language, if you will. They get this from later in First Corinthians. We'll talk about that, um, where maybe in, in someone's personal time with the Lord in their prayer, it becomes so intense that they, they start to utter a, a type of heavenly language, but it's just between them and God. 
It's just between them and God. It's not for everyone. It's a private sort of prayer language. Again, I've never done this, but I have friends uh, that, that do, that have, and they talk about this private prayer language that they have on occasion. And so that's what they mean when they talk about tongues. Another thing is that tongues um, elsewhere is the supernatural ability to either speak, hear, or comprehend actual languages. So we see this in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, when Peter at Pentecost, he gets up to preach this sermon and the Bible says the tongues of fire fall and, and um, what happens, there's this big giant festival holiday celebration going on called Pentecost and everyone is there from different nations, tribes, tongues, different dialects. So when Peter gets up to preach the sermon, it says that everyone heard in their own native language. It's an actual coherent earthly language and Peter was given that gift of tongues in that moment where he could preach and then everyone could hear in their own dialect or in their own language, okay? So that would say, some would say, whenever the Bible uses the word tongues, it's specifically talking about languages. And there's this supernatural ability to either speak, to hear, or to comprehend, to understand foreign languages. I had a friend in college named Timothy uh, Tim was in my Greek class, and I'll be honest, Greek was the hardest class I ever took in college. There were 22 of us that started in Greek 1. There were seven of us that finished Greek 4, and it was a struggle, right? It was a struggle for me, but my friend Tim, he made A's, breezed right through Greek, and it was, it was difficult and demanding, and he just, straight A's, he was amazing at it. While he was taking Greek, <coughs> excuse me, he was also taking Hebrew, which is another really difficult biblical language. And he made A's in Hebrew at the same time he was taking Greek. Timothy was also already proficient in English, Mandarin, and Spanish. He, he was just had this unbelievable ability to, to learn languages. And I asked him one day, I said, man, what do you want to do with your life? And Tim said, I feel God calling me to the mission field, but I don't know where he's going to call me. I don't know where he's going to lead me. And so I want to learn all I can about the Bible, Greek and Hebrew, and I want to learn languages so that God can use me anywhere around the world that he wants to use me. Some would listen to that and look at that and say, Tim had the gift of tongues to understand, to comprehend, and to learn um, actual languages for the purposes of mission in our world. And so that's one idea that some people believe when it comes to tongues. The supernatural ability to speak, hear, or comprehend actual languages. And then the third kind of idea regarding tongues is, is what we hear here in 1 Corinthians 12, and that is some kind of a special revelation from God, where God, for whatever reason, in a moment, decides to give someone a special revelation where they, they utter that in this sort of different sort of heavenly language, but then again, talk about rules that should govern the group setting. The Bible's very, very clear that when that kind of tongues is used, anytime that kind of tongues is used, there should also then be someone that can interpret what, that, what, what God is saying for the benefit or the edification of the church. And so, again, this one is also very prone to misuse. Um, and there are some, again, hyper-charismatic uh, believers that would say that that is sort of indicative. If you speak in tongues, then you're on a higher level with God or you're more holy or you're, you, know, you have a deeper walk. And that's, again, whenever, whenever you put that on a gifting, there are people that are going to chase after that 
And, and that's going to be what they're after, the miraculous, the supernatural. Um, and so we want to be very careful that whenever it, uh, tongues is mentioned in this regard, that it's practiced within the biblical context and the biblical guidelines for what it is. So that's, that's part of why tongues is so confusing. And again, I'll be the first to admit, there's a lot about tongues I frankly don't understand. I've never spoken in tongues. I do not have that gifting. But again, we're not a church that says that it's dead or it's not valid because there are people that still have that gifting uh, today in differing measures. And so those are, those are the giftings that are mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, those are all of the giftings that are mentioned. Um, I wanted to kind of end by just giving you some kind of big overarching truths, if you will, uh, about spiritual gifts. Because again, uh, this is a lot of, uh, of what the rest of 1 Corinthians is Paul's going to be talking about. Um, is this idea of spiritual gifting. And uh, it does bring a lot of divisiveness in a lot of churches. And so I wanted to kind of give you uh, five things that we can, um, we can hopefully all agree together when it comes to spiritual gifting based on what God's word tells us, all right? And so here we go. Number one, God gives each believer their gift or their gifts according to his will for his purposes, Right? God is the one that gives. We talked about it a while ago. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, every believer empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, given gifts for, for ministry. And God is the one that gives those things. And so um, in some church traditions, you know, you come forward if you want a particular gift and the pastor lays hands on you and the pastor bestows whatever gifting the pastor wants you to have. Um, we, don't, we don't believe the pastor gives you your gifting. You don't get to pick and choose your gifting, right? You don't get to kind of see a menu and go, yeah, I'll take that one. I like this one over here. No, we don't pick and choose our gifting. Your gifting's not hereditary. It doesn't come from your mama and your daddy and your grandparents and whatever gifting they had doesn't mean you're gonna have that same gifting. Your gifting comes from God. The Bible's very clear about that, that God gives each believer their gift in, in, in differing measures, right? In differing measures. So you might say uh, someone has the gift of teaching, but that might mean that they can teach a small group. They're really good at teaching a small group. That's a gift of teaching. Some other people have the gift of teaching in a differing measure, and they, they can maybe preach or teach in front of crowds of, of hundreds, and other people have the gifting, and it's in front of thousands. And so there's differing measures. Some people are, are maybe you would say, better teachers than, other, than others because they have the gift in different measures. But God is the one that gives the gifting. The second point is that your gift or gifts, they're not for your benefit. They're for the benefit of others, right? They're for the benefit of others, for the building up of the church, right? This is very, very important because uh, the idea of gifting, again, is not to show how good and holy and pious and wonderful and deep you are. Spiritual gifts are given to you for the benefit, the blessing of other people. If you are not using your gift to love people, to build people up, to serve people, then you are misusing your gift. I need you to hear that. You're misusing your gift. If your gift terminates on you and it becomes about you, you are misusing your spiritual gift. And so your gift is not for the benefit of you. It is always for the benefit, blessing, and service of other people and the building up and the edification of the church. Number three, you need to practice your spiritual gifting, right? Your gifting really needs to be cultivated, okay? Um, we don't want you to be someone that neglects your spiritual gift, okay? So as you put your gift into practice, then what happens, you'll notice, is that you become more proficient. You become better at your gifting, right? 
It's like anything else. If you just kind of put it on the side and you never use it, you never cultivate it, you never practice it, then all of a sudden when you try to, you're not going to be as good at it. And so your spiritual gift needs to be practiced. Um, I know that early on in my life, late high school, early college, um, I began to feel like I had the gift of teaching. Um, But to be honest with you, looking back, I wasn't great at it. I didn't, I mean, looking back, it was like, I was, man, I was naive and immature. And I remember my first sermon that that I ever preached, I planned for 30 minutes and I practiced it for hours and hours and hours in front of a mirror. And then when it finally came time on a Sunday night for me to preach it, I preached for 12 minutes and I had nothing else to say. I was done, right? And I felt embarrassed and my dad was like, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. But as you practice your gifting, you get better at your gifting. And so believers, when when you realize God's given you a gift, don't neglect that gift. Put your gift into practice because you can hone that gift. You, be, you can become better and more proficient at your gift. Uh, number four, this is really, really important. Don't allow your gifting to be an obstacle to service, okay? So here's what I mean by that. There are going to be times and seasons when you will be asked to and you need to be willing to operate in areas outside of your gifting, Okay? You need to be willing to operate in areas outside of your gifting because sometimes the need, the need will dictate what area you need to serve in. And when I say don't let your gifting be an obstacle, it's because I've heard, this, this often happens with people that know their gifting and they've, they've used their gifting a lot in the church, but sometimes we get to a point where we almost allow our gifting to be an obstacle to doing anything else. It would be like me as a, someone who has the gift of teaching or prophecy to, uh, to walk out of here and I see, you know, there's a spill on the ground. There's some tables that need to be moved. There's some trash on the floor. But if I were to walk out and go, you know, guys, uh, that's just not my gifting, right? Like I'm, I've got the gift of teaching. Um, I don't have the gift of service, picking up trash, wiping up spills, moving tables. It's just not my gifting. So, so you guys do that, right? You see how arrogant that sounds? Um, some people do that. You know, they hear about a need in the church and their first reaction is, that's not my gifting. Hey, we need more children's workers and volunteers. Ah, it's just not my gifting. We need some people to help out in our student ministry. Ah, you know, my gifting is not middle school kids. I just can't do that, right? We need people to step up and do this or do that. Ah, you know, I just don't. And so don't allow your gifting to become an obstacle to serving wherever you're needed. That's what I mean by that gift. And so just be very careful that we don't become people that almost get very prideful and kind of arrogant around our gift. And then we don't, we don't serve where there is the need. And then finally, number five, be on guard against pride and envy when it comes to spiritual gifting. Very, very important. Be on guard against pride and envy when it comes to spiritual gifting. These are two things that I would say are very prominent in regards to, to uh, your spiritual gifting, to a response. Um, one is, the, is pride. And that's the idea that you, you get your gift, you realize your gift, you begin to practice your gift, and you allow that to cause you to become very spiritually arrogant. My gift is better than your gift. I have a higher gift than that person does. I'm better at this than that person is. You just have to be really careful. And, and, and honestly, pride is part of the reason there's a lot of skepticism and doubt around sign gifts. Because we've seen it, right? We've seen it over and over and over again. When someone has a more miraculous gift, they tend to flaunt that gift. They like to brag about that gift. And there's a lot of misuse of those gifts. There's a lot of misuse of all gifts. So be very careful. You don't allow pride to rule your heart in regard to your spiritual gift. And then envy. 
Um, envy can be another really dangerous thing where instead of being grateful for the gift God's given you and honing that gift and practicing that gift and walking in that gift, instead we look around at the gift someone else has and we just want their gifting. I want that gifting. I want to I wanna be gifted like that guy or like that, that, like that lady over there. And we're not grateful and we don't ever use ours because we're just envious and jealous of the gift of someone else. So we want to be very careful that when it comes to gifting, we don't walk in pride or envy. I would say it like this, that both pride and envy are childish, immature ways of responding to a gift, right? Both pride and envy are childish, immature ways of responding to a gift. You don't want to be kind of the bratty kid at Christmas that doesn't get the gift they want, right? And you're like, I don't want that gift. I want that gift. I mean, that's what some people sort of do with their spiritual gift. And so be grateful for however God has gifted you. I promise you, if you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible says you place your faith in Christ and then something that happens is the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. He changes your heart. He begins to set you on a path where you pursue Christ, right? He empowers you then and gifts you to do ministry in the church and in the world. That's what the gifts are about. It's God giving you this ability and God doesn't have to give it to you. God chooses to give that to you. So be grateful for your gift. And I can tell you as a church, we need your gift here. We need your gift here. We need you to operate in your gift. We need you to learn what your gifting is because you have a way to serve the church, to edify the church, to build up the church. And you make us a better place together when we're all using the gifts God gave us to minister, serve, and love and build up his church, right? So that's what Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's pray uh, together this morning. Father, we're grateful today that you're a good God who gives us the gift of your presence, first of all. You have not put us in a world and left us on our own. God, that you're very much with us, that your Holy Spirit is alive and well inside of us, God. Um, and you, you, you enable us, God. You give us these gifts so that we could minister and love and serve the people around us. So Father, I pray that you would just help us as a church to, um, to walk in those giftings, to know those giftings, to practice those giftings, Jesus, so that we could love and serve your church. I pray for those that are maybe listening to this, God, that, that don't have any idea or any clue what their gifting is. I pray, pray today, God, you might remind them that the best way to learn and to discern what the gifting is is to begin to serve and begin to practice and begin to, 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 to just love the church and serve in the church. That It's often through practice and through trial where we discern what that gifting is as others affirm those things in us. And so, God, I pray for a spirit and a willingness to just jump in, to serve, to be a part of what you're doing. God, for others that already know their gifting, maybe they've walked with you for a long time and they know what their gifting is. Father, I pray that we would not misuse those gifts that we would not abuse the gifting that you've given us. I pray that we would be thankful for the gifts you've given us. And God, we would look to use those things to bring honor and glory and point people to you. God, help us all to build up your church. And we pray it all in Jesus' name today. Amen. Thanks again for joining us this morning for worship. Uh, before you go, I believe John has a few uh, things to let you know about. Again, we love you guys and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week.